0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you
1: live.
2: Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Sarah Ellison, a staff writer here at The Post. I'm thrilled to be joined today by the actor Ruth Wilson and the showrunner Joe Murtaugh to discuss their new Showtime series, The Woman in the Wall. Ruth and Joe, welcome to Washington Post Live.
1: Hello. Hi. Hi.
2: Before we dive into the show, Joe, I was hoping you could give us a sort of brief history and primer on the Magdalene Laundries and the history of them, just so we know what we're talking about going into the conversation.
1: Sure. So the the Magdalene Laundries, they were uh, church-run, state-funded institutions in Ireland. Uh, They originated originally in England hundreds of years ago but when we're talking about the Magdalene laundries we're really talking mostly about the period between 1922 and 1996 and these were institutions for, for so-called fallen women. Um, originally that was meant to mean prostitutes but over the course of you know several decades in Ireland that that came to include uh, mothers um, who had children out of wedlock. It could be women with mental health issues, it could be women perceived uh, to have committed any kind of crime that that the local community or or churches um wanted to throw at them and and they were put in these institutions where they were essentially used as a, as slave labor forced to work in these excruciating conditions uh for no pay obviously cut off from the world just just an unbelievable amount of, of abuses and as i said the last one closed in 1996 which is probably the most horrific Aspect of this that I think sticks with people is certainly the, the thing that stuck with me the most, and what made me want to write about this in the first place.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a stunning. Um, you come across that that date in the first episode, and it's just sort of a stunning tidbit. Ruth, you play Lorna, who is a seamstress, who is a survivor um, of one of the laundries, and you've described her as an outsider who has sort of nothing left to lose. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about her, how her past affects her and her, act, her actions and the way you played her as a character.
0: Um, yes, yeah, so Lorna is a woman who lives in this fictional town that Joe created called Kilkenny. She was put in one of these mother and baby homes at the age of 16 um, because she was pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, And in that mother and baby home, she gave, she was forced to work while she was pregnant. And then she gave birth to a child that was quickly taken away from her. Um, And she never knew what happened to that child. Um, So she has this trauma. She lives with this trauma. She has, her trauma manifests in sleepwalking. Um, So her subconscious, subconscious kind of acts out while she sleeps. Um, But in her day to day, she has, uh, she's kind of, I don't know, she's got that trauma that sort of resides with her and makes her sort of feel like an outsider. She kind of a a loner in the town that she lives. Um, There's a sense of shame and isolation with her. She lives in the same house that she grew up in. Um, In a way, in her real life, she's unable to move forward. And that trauma of what she does at night, it kind of makes her seem a weirdo in the town. Um, so that's mm-hmm. it. Was it was kind of wonderful that Joe had created these two sides of this character—one in her waking life, one in her sleeping life—and um, she hasn't kind of reconciled the two together, the two separate individuals that she's kind of having to deal with.
2: Um, the the show is such a short sort of genre bending experience. It's a crime drama. Um, it's dark comedy. It's murder mystery. Um, Joe, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about why and how you wrapped all of those together, and why you told the story in this way. Also, specifically as a as a series and not a movie.
1: Mm. Um, well, the second part of the question is easier to 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 answer. It's just the the scope of it. It's um, when you start to read into this history, you realize just how many thousands upon thousands of lives this thing touched so you know our show is six hours long and that's not nearly enough time to tell the full story of the magdalene laundries and the mother and baby homes it, it you know it's uh it's just unbelievable that the scope of it so that's that's why series as opposed to movie in terms of the genre elements <clears throat> that came down to um i think that the magdalene laundries are really unique in their awfulness in that they, as I say, they've touched thousands thousands upon thousands of, of Irish lives, but at the same time, outside of Ireland, no one really knows about these things. Um, when you say the words magnane laundries to anyone outside of Ireland, chances are they're not going to know what you're talking about. And there's a sort of a paradox between the the scale of horror that occurred and and just how few people know about it. And so that was something that I specifically wanted to address in the series. You know, I I I kind of steered away from from leaning into too many social realist elements because i was scared that that would immediately limit the audience or or rather you know it might be a show that would only appeal to to people who maybe already knew about the history and when i first learned about this i learned about this through watching a film i, I learned about this when i watched um the magdalene sisters the peter mullen film brilliant film um, i knew nothing about this at all before i saw that film and there's a reason for that it's it's you know it's always taken art and artists to get this this story out there so what i wanted to do with the series it was to basically do the same as what the magdalene sisters did to me and just slap people in the face with this so the genre elements were really a way to smuggle this story under the radar to get someone who you know wouldn't necessarily be interested in watching a show about the magdalene laundries but would be interested in watching a weird crime thriller murder mystery dark comedy mashup who done it? whatever however it is you you describe this this show you know to to deliver that kind of show to them and deliver on all the promises that those kind of genre shows make but then trick them into learning all about the make lane laundries in the process that was that was the intention behind that
2: um speaking of thriller ruth i'm going to come to you next but i first we have a clip and i want to just pause for a minute so people can see a taste of what Uh, what the show has to offer.
0: Hello. No. Who is that? Look, if this is a joke,
2: education. Ruth, how does this letter set the stage for what's to come?
0: Yeah, so as I said before, she's someone that her child was taken away from her at age 16. She's never found out exactly what happened to that child, whether her child was dead, whether her child is alive. Um, so she's lived with that question uh, the last 30 years of her life. Um, so when this When this note arrives, it changes her whole life. Suddenly, she might find the answers that she's been looking for. Um, And you'll see that she goes off to then go and meet this woman. Uh, The woman doesn't turn up, and then she has one of her sleepwalking bouts. And as the rest unfolds, um, the horror part starts to unfold then.
2: Um, It's so hard not to give away some spoilers. I'm not sure what I'm announcing. I understand. Um, Joe, you, um, you spoke with survivors, actual survivors of the Magdalene Laundries um, to inform the story, and we have an audience question from Anais in Colorado who asks, um, you've adapted a sensitive and historically significant subject into a crime series. How did you balance the need for dramatic storytelling with the responsibility of representing the experiences of real women who suffered in the Magdalene laundries? Additionally, what steps did you take to ensure the portrayal in the, the, portrayal in these ser- in the series was both respectful and authentic to the real life stories of historical abuse?
1: Yeah, great question. Um- I mean, essentially, in short, it was speaking to the survivors. That was that was how we did that. It was something that we were very, very mindful of from the very start. Um, I started writing this series over over ten years ago, and that has been in my mind every single day uh, while developing this this series. Um, we had a great consultant on the show, Catherine O'Donnell. She worked for Justice for Magdalene's Research, um, which is an amazing charity based in Ireland who work directly with survivors and uh, and. And their whole aim is to educate the public on the histories of the McVane Laundries and give support to survivors. So we had a great consultant there who were able to to talk to and and, you know, run things past her at, at any point. She was great because she was also very aware that we're making a genre show and we need to. It was just about balancing that, you know, that creative license that we needed to tell a genre show in order to to. To you know, achieve the bigger aim of getting this show out there, whilst at the same time making sure we were never setting a foot wrong, or or misrepresenting anything, or or God forbid, being disrespectful in any way. And then, of course, speaking of the survivors themselves, that was fantastic. That was that was an amazing experience. Um, and that was kind of the final, uh, final push I needed to to get this this series written was kind of getting their their approval and their permission and their insight, their first-hand insight into these these awful institutions.
2: Um, Ruth, we're we're going to ask you to thread the needle on spoilers with the next question. Um, okay. As Lorna is dealing with her, as she's dealing with her sleepwalking, two murders occur, and I'm wondering if you can um, tell us without revealing any spoilers how she ends up working with uh, the main detective, Colman Aconde.
0: So. Um... As you're that note that arrives and Lorna goes to meet this woman and she has a sleepwalking belt and the next morning she finds this woman on her in her house and presumes she's dead. Doesn't know if she's responsible for it or not. So Lorna is in a position where she thinks maybe she's a murderer uh, and she does violent things in her sleep. She's dangerous to not only herself but others. There's also a murder, concurrently there's a murder of a priest that happens in Dublin. And that's been investigated by a character called Coleman. And he comes from Dublin, he travels over because there's a connection uh, to that priest in our town. And you start to realise that these two dead bodies are connected. And Lorna becomes the main suspect. So Coleman is starting to suspect Lorna. um, And that's how they're lives and their stories start to interweave but what you realize they start as adversaries in the first episode and first few episodes you start to realize their pasts are quite connected and they're almost the yin and yang of each other but that's how they start to their their stories start to come
2: together um joe since you conceptualized this series um Lots of news has broken um, in in the the real-life history of these laundries, including an official apology from the Irish state in 2013, and in 2017, the discovery of a mass grave in County Galway that contained the bodies of 796 children on the site of a former mother and baby home. How did that timeline affect your approach to to the storyline, if at all?
1: It, um, I mean, as as news has been breaking about Tuam over the past decade, you know, and that that grave still hasn't been exhumed. It's it's saying it's going to be next year or this year now, actually, twenty twenty four. But as that has dragged on, that's been uh, definitely an inspiration to to allude to the without giving anything away, allude to the mass grave um, aspect uh in in all this in the show that was definitely it felt more important as i was developing the series to to try and touch on that again as respectfully as possible but it was just you know as you say 200 and sorry 798 um bodies unaccounted for thought to be in a mass grave that's something that you just you have to you can't ignore that so that definitely um yeah that definitely felt very necessary to touch on but i would say that um I would say that you know over the over the 10 years developing this there were lots and lots of days lots of reasons where i was telling myself not to write about this at all that i had no no right to be writing about this and and you know since the show's come out i know that some people aren't happy that i have written about this but i guess the fact that this is so not talked about and that at the same time concurrently as it's not being talked about you have these these awful horrors coming out in the news and this thought to be, you know, Chewham has only been discovered because of the, the tireless efforts of, of Catherine Corliss, this this local historian, but it's thought to, now that there could be another mass grave uh, containing even more bodies in, in Bessborough, mother and baby home that Catherine is, is now looking into as well. So it's it just sort of, you know, over these 10 years, all those days that I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't be writing about this, then another piece of news would come out like that. And so it was just a reminder that actually, Let's let's talk about this. Let's start talking about this.
2: Um, Ruth, you grew up in Southeast England and were an altar girl growing up. <laughs> I'm wondering how playing Lorna affected your view of Catholicism.
0: Um, I don't know if it directly affected it. I think that I I've always been fast. I mean, I grew up a Catholic. I was like you said, I was first altar girl in my village. <laughs> um, and I was confirmed and every, you know baptized and everything else. I, I always found it fascinating, uh, religion and the effect it has on a community. And I understand the need of it. I mean, my dad still goes every week. I'm a lapsed Catholic, but he still goes and I can see what it does for him. It's a community. It's a place of prayer, of meditation. There's a ritual. Um, but there's... I was always, I started struggling with the hypocrisy of some aspects of the church in my teens and I've done a number of pieces of work, whether it's His Dark Materials or it's Mrs. Wilson and then this, which are in a way, a way for me to kind of explore my relationship to my own faith or what I was brought up in um, and to challenge um, some aspects of it and to question some parts of it. I find it quite difficult being in a church these days, um, probably because of the things that I've explored um and parts of the hypocrisy of it. Um, but I do understand you know why people need it um, so i and I sort of think Catholicism for me was strangely it's such an interesting religion, Catholics in particular because it's to me it's so dramatic and theatrical, it's so sensual, it's full of smells and Kind of the iconography and what the priests are wearing, what the candles—that it was very sort of hypnotic and uh, hypnotic for children, certainly. And I think it was my first taste of what theatre is. (laughs) So I can understand how it's affected me in my life. Um, But yeah, I think that's why I've explored these, or why I've been drawn to these particular stories, is because it's some part of me exploring my own background and history.
2: It's all so uh, fascinating. Um, Joe, this this story takes place in a small fictional town um, where this real sense of shame lingers. I'm wondering what you've learned about how a community heals from something like this.
1: Wow, I don't know. It's That's a big question. I, I wouldn't know how to say how how does the community heal about this i mean i ha I, I have to believe that just talking about this is integral i think that it doesn't do anyone any kind of good to leave this stuff buried to sweep the stuff under the rug it just you know it, it obviously has not been working uh in this case for the for, for decades um i think i think talking about this and being open about this you know these things happened to people so let's talk about it. I think, I think it's as simple as, as that, but it's a, yeah, that's a difficult question.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mean to stump you, but uh, Ruth, do you
0: have any thoughts about that too? Yeah, I sort of think that, you know, shame like breeds in silence. You know, it kind of, if you, if you don't talk about things and you don't acknowledge that these things took place, you're denying people's experience and you're, kind of uh, compounding that shame and compounding and and also, you know, allowing it potentially to happen again. You need to sort of talk about it, reconcile it, acknowledge it. And only through that process can you hope to understand why it happened in the first place. Um, So I agree with exactly what Joe's is saying.
2: Ruth, the last time you joined us on Post Live, you talked about playing the Norwegian diplomat in the film Oslo. Um, Now you're slated to portray another real person in uh, the upcoming series, A Very Royal Scandal. You're gonna play a uh, British journalist, Emily Maitlis, um, who interviewed Prince Andrew in 2019 about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. What attracts you to to roles, whether you're playing real people, um, and how does preparing to a real person differ from a fictional character or maybe that there there's a sort of well you'll i'll let you answer
0: yeah i mean actually when i was playing mona from in oslo i didn't i didn't take much uh time to sort of replicate her i didn't want to do an imitation of her it was like the drama itself had been told and i felt actually it wasn't about replicating her as a human being but actually, Emily Maitlis is so, certainly in England, is very well known. Um, and she's very distinctive as a journalist. And I, I loved, I thought it was actually gonna be a real technical exercise for me to kind of copy or imitate her voice and her mannerisms. Um, and I love that challenge. I don't usually do that. I haven't really played many real people. I mean, Mona was one, but, and my grandmother was another, but neither of them are very well known publicly. So I had a little bit more license to sort of do what I wanted with those. Whereas this, it feels a little bit more like people are gonna be looking to see how you might imitate her. And I loved finding her voice. And um, I mean, I watched that interview over and over and over again. I was sort of sick of that Andrew interview, but it's, um, it was really fun to do her and to have a blonde wig and, um, you know, bright blue nails. She's quite a character. Uh, So I I really enjoyed it. It's very different. You know, when you're building your own character, when you're building something that's fictional, that's created, you have a lot more freedom to go where you want to go with that. You haven't got so much constraints and it's uh, completely up for grabs, what that character looks like or how they manifest. Um, Whereas Emily, there's quite distinct rules that you have to follow. You know, you have to try and replicate her. But weirdly enough, because she's, Because she's a real person, actually, in things like what she wears are so much more um, kind of particular and specific than you'd ever come up with on your own, Um, which I thought was wonderful. Like, you know, exactly how she dresses or how she, uh, you know, how she sort of walks around a room is so specific or what she smells, what she kind of like puts on her face and how she you'd never usually allow or be granted that kind of freedom. Um, so I found it really fascinating and I really enjoyed it.
2: Nice. Um, Joe, are you attracted after having done this sort of research intensive historical project? Are, are you looking for a palate cleanser or do you wanna do more historical projects like this?
1: I just wanna write a show where everyone is just nice to each other and there's nothing hey we were, there's nice. no, we were nice yeah <laughs> um, no i mean in general I'm, i am i'm fascinated by by history and and sort of like, kind of like what you were just saying there ruth but emily Maitlis, there's a sort of like truth being stranger than fiction element uh, to these sorts of stories which is is quite liberating in in a way you know if you if you were you couldn't make up a story like the like the woman in the wall you couldn't you couldn't make up these these institutions and what went on there and and still engage an audience in the same way as when you're as when they know that it's based in 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 reality that it's based on something that actually happened so i am i'm fascinated by bits of history but more specifically parts of history that people don't know about and should lesser known parts of history i guess
2: Well, I wish we could keep going, but unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, We're going to have to leave it there. Ruth Wilson, Joe Murtaugh, thank you so much for joining us. It was a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thanks Thanks. for having us.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.